0: For those of you who are new, my name is Miles, and I get the incredible privilege of being the lead pastor of Auburn Community Church. We're a church that's coming up on five years in existence, y'all. Five years ago, my wife and I were packing up a ginormous U-Haul and moving from a four-bedroom house in Kennesaw, Georgia, to a three-bedroom apartment in Auburn, Alabama. Shout out to the Arbors. Doesn't even exist anymore in Auburn. I think it's called 1322 North Dean because now it's trendy for your apartment building to just have a number and the name of a road attached to it. So let's just all name our apartments that. Thanks for being creative, Auburn. It's great. Um, That's the thing, it's it's fine. But so much of my message today, I think, coincides with our journey as a church because as much as it is my tendency to recall the stories of the past five years and look back on what God has done so far, I truly believe that God is thinking way more about the next five. And he is thinking about your role and my role and what he is about to do in and through the life of this church. And we exist so that people far from God would have barriers removed between where they are and where Jesus is and we don't remove any barriers for anybody. We just announce from our stage that the barrier has been removed. Jesus has died, it is finished, and God is available to you, and so he's gonna do that for so many other people, and I'm ready to step into all that he has next, and in this moment, I'm so much more concerned about this moment than any of the moments that we've had together previously. I feel like God has something fresh today, and if you have your Bible, you already know what to do. Hold it up all over this room. Hold it up, hold it up. Now, here's what I want to say about this. Hold it up high. Hold it up high. Shame those who did not bring theirs. Do it. It's okay. Hope you feel this. Don't hold up your phone. It does not count. It's not, it's not God-breathed. It's inspired, but not God-breathed. I'm just kidding. I don't even know what I'm saying. Here's what I want to say. If you're not holding up a Bible right now, and it's not because you just left it in a certain place, or you were serving on a team, and you, you know where your Bible is, if you're not holding up a Bible right now because you genuinely and sincerely do not have one that you love to read, go to the info table right after this. Give your name and address to the ladies who are at the info table. There might be a guy over there. It's usually all ladies. And so not, not trying to discriminate. If you're a guy at the info table, you can take this too. Give your address to them. There will be a Bible delivered to wherever you live from Amazon Prime. So it'll be here by Tuesday. And it will, it will make that happen, okay? Okay, I seriously do it. Nothing physically, your hands are getting tired, aren't they? Hold them up. Come on, guys, get your workout in. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's coming soon. Do it. Nothing physically more important than the pages of this book. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter, doesn't that feel good? It's like, oh, thank you, Lord. Philippians chapter 3. This is the first time this summer in our journey through Philippians where I'm going to break the rhythm of just preaching through the next set of verses, there's a section at the end of Philippians 2 that follows the message that Matt Cole last, that Matt Cole gave last Sunday, and I felt just sitting in the audience receiving the word that Matt was bringing that I was right where I was supposed to be, and I'm grateful for the moments I get to sit where so many of you sit week after week because, believe it or not, I need to glean from the word of God. I need these moments, and so... He landed in the middle of chapter two. There's a section at the end of chapter two that's a very personal word that Paul talks about, a guy named Timothy and a guy named Epaphroditus. I'm not going to deal with that right now, but I am going to come back to that in the very last sermon of the summer. So make sure you're back here on August 4th. We're going to cover who Timothy is and who Epaphroditus is, and it's going to be a really, really, really good message. And then there's a section at the beginning of Philippians 3 that I've already talked about. If you haven't been tracking with us, we've been in Philippians all summer. We'll be in Philippians all summer, and God's been moving in an incredible way. At the beginning of chapter three, Paul gives the reasons why he has no confidence in the flesh and that he's basically thrown out the window his old life as a Jewish Pharisee and welcomed in the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus. It's an amazing section. Go listen to the sermon better by far if you want more of that. And we're going to hit on it, but I want to jump in in verse 10 of chapter three and preach what I believe is a fresh word from heaven. Philippians chapter three, verse 10. If you're there, say I'm there. Here we go. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So this is Paul writing from a prison cell in Rome to a church in Philippi in Macedonia that he planted 10 years earlier to this letter being written. And Paul announces to this church, he says, my one goal and my one ambition for my life is to know Jesus intimately and deeply. Because in Jesus is not a free ticket to heaven. In Jesus is the fullness of life. If you're in here wondering why people want to know Christ, why people are raising their hands, why they look emotional when they sing about this God that we're talking about, it's because of this ambition. There is nothing in this life of higher value than knowing Jesus closely and intimately. And in the gospel of John, John says, I have written all these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's Christianity. Christ means anointed one. So when you come to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the one and only son of God sent from heaven to die for your sins, to be raised to new life so that you might have heaven one day, a perfect relationship with your heavenly father and the Holy Spirit empowering you here and now. John says that you would believe in his name is the reason why this message is going out and then he ends it with this. And this is where I think at ACC, we do a good job of focusing on this last part instead of just saying, pray a prayer, receive Christ, life everlasting, be a Christian. John says, I wrote all this so that you would believe in his name and that in his name you would have life. It's not just that we would believe and go to heaven one day. It's that the fullness of what it means to be a human being only comes to you to the extent that you know Jesus intimately. Paul's like, I just, I just want to know him. I don't want to know about him. I want to know him. That's relationship. It's not a classroom study. Some of you know a lot about the Bible, but you don't know Jesus personally. It's relationship. I want to know Christ, to know the the power of his resurrection. And I love this, participation in his sufferings. That's where I'm like, I don't want to know that. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Well, you don't get resurrection Sunday without Good Friday. And there's things that have to die for new things to come alive. That's what's going to happen today. And he says, somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That's the goal of the Christian life. We're going to know Jesus the most intimately when we are where he is and when we have experienced what he experienced, death to life. That's where we're all headed. Now, what Paul says next is where we're going to be living this week, and I'm trembling reading the words. I'm so excited to tell you this. Paul says, verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this, or have already arrived at my goal. So Paul's journey is not complete. I haven't attained knowing Jesus perfectly. I haven't been raised from the dead. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul saying, I'm not perfect. Like, I want to know Jesus closely and intimately. I want to know him so intimately that I've died and I've risen to be with him forever. But I haven't arrived at that goal yet. I'm not there. But I am doing this one thing. And it's a really confusing sentence. This is one of the most important verses in the New Testament. I am trying to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. That's Christianity. We're trying to grab something that's already been given to us in Christ, but it's our strain, it's our pursuit to know more of what's already been freely given. So when Paul says, I'm trying to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, you need to understand the order of salvation. It's not hold on to Jesus and you might be saved. It's Jesus grabbed a hold of you and you're forever saved. Your security, all of your eternal destiny is in his hands. You are a Christian, not because you raised your hand at youth camp, but because 2,000 years ago when Jesus died, your heavenly father knew in Christ Jesus that that was for you. He took hold of you. He's the one who chose you. He's the one who predestined you. He's the one who drew you. He's the one who made you. It was Him 100%, and you said thank you. Our role is wow, you did all of that. Thanks be to God. And that grateful heart that Matt talked about last week starts to get cultivated. But Paul's like, I, I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And, And that's the one thing. One thing I do. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. But there is one thing that I'm really good at doing. And I would argue that this one thing is the difference between Paul and us. And this one thing is what is keeping you from experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus came to offer you. The title of my message is One Thing I Do. One thing I do. When you got the Apostle Paul saying, I'm not perfect, I haven't got it all together, but I got this one thing that I'm really good at, we need to know what that one thing is. Because I feel like that one thing might be the one thing that you need. And the one thing that I need. One thing I do. Now I want to stop and talk about the fact that Paul has to announce that he's not perfect. And it's not like a, a preacher announcement of, I'm not perfect, I struggle just like all of you struggle. Which is really just like... Plea of arrogance that is like, oh, I know it's a shock, but I'm not perfect, guys. And then you can go, oh, he doesn't think he's perfect. Look how humble he is. And it's really pride. And so it's like, no. And, and, And I love that he doesn't say, I'm not perfect and name one of his flaws. That's typical preacher teacher move. Like, if I want you to know how not perfect I am, I confess something that makes you go, oh, wow, he really has issues typically I would do something like this. Hey guys, I'm not perfect. And the reason why I took my ACC sticker off my car is because I have a tendency of not representing us well on the roads of Auburn, Alabama. I'm just, I'm just telling you that people see me and they're like, he doesn't even have a sticker to his own church. There's a reason why guys, when you're driving your daughter to school in the morning and somebody thinks that Ogletree road has a 35 mile an hour speed limit when it's really 45. And you're thinking about going over the double yellow, or actually you have before because you've been that late. And you're like, yeah, I, need to take that sticker off because not only am I representing my church poorly but if they see me they go oh that's the leader and so if I want to tell you that I'm not perfect I'll tell you a story like that that is dead serious why me and Matt Cole don't have a sticker on our car even though you're like the safest driver ever true stories in the ACC staff I don't ride with Matt anymore because he drives so slow and safe like I don't ever I I feel like we were going to Charlotte to look at all these church buildings and see what we wanted our building to look like. And I legitimately said, I actually want to get there today, so I do not want to ride with Matt. And, and so, but it is safer than riding with some other people on staff who won't be named. And, and so you can put the sticker on your, your truck. He drives a truck now. You've officially become an Auburn man. And you can do that anytime you want to. But that, that's typical move to go, hey, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. Here's what I struggle with. Paul does the opposite. He says, I'm not perfect, I haven't arrived at my goal, I'm not complete, but there is one thing I do. That's so rare. It's not a confession. It's a revelation. He's like, I've got this one thing down, and I think the one thing that Paul has down is the thing that makes all of our lives look different than his. Have you ever looked at another Christian and felt like they had something that you didn't have there was someone praying over me this morning, and I just thought to myself, she, she knows Jesus in a way I do not. You ever been around somebody, you're like, they know something. They, they walk in a certain confidence. They have a certain passion to their life and a certain purpose and meaning that it always feels fleeting to me. If you read the letters of Paul and you feel like there's a clear distinction between him and you, I believe this verse is the distinction. This verse is the difference. And this verse fleshes out, what does it mean for me to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me? Like if Jesus took hold of me and saved me by his death, by his resurrection, what does it mean for me? to take hold of the life he has given me and step into that fullness that seems so fleeting. And I would argue that 100% of this room looks at the Apostle Paul and to a certain extent thinks, he does something and he's gotten to a place that I wish I could get to. And he's saying he's not complete, but he's got this one thing that he says he does over and over and over again. This is the difference. This is what you've been looking for. This is what's been missing. And he fleshes it out in full detail when he says, one thing I do do forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus here's the here's his one thing which is really two things but he considers it one thing I've forgotten the past and I'm moving toward the future and when, when I say I've forgotten the past I mean I've left it behind as garbage you read previously in Philippians 3, that word garbage, I've said before, it's a cuss word. Paul says, my old life, my old self left behind in the past, it is, it is fully behind me. Now, when Paul says forgetting what is behind, he's not talking about some kind of warping his memory and completely doing away with everything that has happened in his past. He is talking about dropping and doing away with anything that can hinder his current faith and obedience, I'm going to say that again because I see people yawning and not taking notes. Here's what I, here's, here's what forgetting what is behind. What does forgetting what is behind mean? It means doing completely away with anything that hinders your current faith and obedience. So it doesn't mean erase your memory, it doesn't mean forget your experiences, it doesn't mean don't use wisdom. It doesn't say memories don't have value. What he is saying is that anything that could stop me from straining toward the goal of where I want to get, more so who I want to get to, it goes in the past and it is completely forgotten by my focus. My focus is forward and I'm straining toward what is ahead. He talks about winning a prize. He wants the people to know, this is almost like an athletic event. This is almost like the Olympics. I'm Training so hard toward where I am going that I have completely forgotten about where I've been. Let me tell you this, ACC, this is what I got to announce to you today. You cannot take hold of the future God has for you until you have let go of the past that's binding you. You will never take hold of that future that God so desperately wants for your life until you have let go of the past that is binding you. And I feel like what needs to happen today is a straining toward the future by letting go of the past. These aren't two different things for Paul. It's Remember, it's this one thing, but this one thing I do, I have dropped then and I'm in the now, moving on forward. And I believe what's gonna happen in this place is gonna be a painful death everything that you've come from and everything that you need to leave behind, and a glorious unveiling of what God wants to do in the future. Now, this is where I need to give you my alternative title to this sermon. I like One Thing I Do. I think it's a good title. I think it represents what I'm trying to teach today. But if you need me to be more relevant, if you need me to be more 2019 This little section of the sermon is for you. My alternative title to this sermon is Why I Deleted Time Hop. Why I Deleted Time Hop. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what's on the screen right now or what I just said, let me catch you up to 2019. We have these things called smartphones, and they have the capacity to download apps that connect you to people all over the world and generally assist you in daily living and connectivity. One of those is called TimeHop. And TimeHop's really cool because what TimeHop does is it gathers all of your data from a particular date in history and puts it all in one place so that when you wake up in the morning, you are able to see everything that you've done digitally from that day backward your entire life, which really did life begin before 2007? Um, It it, it just goes back to the Point where you can gather all your social media accounts, but not just that; it's also your iPhoto. It's it's everything that you've done on a given day. You can look at and go, "Wow, on this day, all the way back, this is where I was. This is what my kids were doing. This is what I w- looked like." This, I mean, it's it's some of it's scary, especially when you were a senior in high school in 2007. And daily look at, "Oh, wow, you wore that," and um, and 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 the questions that I have for myself. And so here's here's what I noticed. I noticed that. When I wake up in the morning, I have this strange tendency of reaching for my phone more than I reach for my Bible. I know none of you, none of you struggle with that. You go straight to the word. I got it. Trying to catch up. But I notice that I don't have the tendency that a lot of people struggle with in that I don't look to news or to social media right away. I was grabbing my phone, and all I wanted to see in the morning was time hop. I just wanted to know, okay, what happened on this date all the way back. I love uh, history. I love historical dates, specifically in my life. Even this week, July 17th is coming up. July 17th, 2008 was my first date with Courtney. And I remember it because it was also the night that the dark night came out. You remember this movie? And this was back in the day where when you went to a movie on opening night, you actually had to go at midnight. Like it wasn't like, oh, it's a midnight showing at 9 p.m., like, when did this start? When did this happen? We used to have to actually stay up all night, and that was our first date going to see that movie. And so every time, I always remember dates. I always remember, like, this happened December 15th. We beat Marietta, who was the eventual regional champ in, uh, in, in overtime, and I had 17 points, and I actually fractured my pinky in the game but played through it because, you know, it's pushed through. And so I, I remember December 15th always. In my, I remember all these dates of, like, significant moments that happened in my life. Do not judge me. I had one season of glory that I will continue to reach back toward for the rest of my life. And I'm not as bad as some who are sitting among you right now. And so I had this tendency, and I started noticing okay, I, I want to know. And, and it's not necessarily Time Hop's fault, but I noticed that I have this dangerous, dangerous pattern in my life of experiencing my life in reverse based on memories instead of stepping forward following Jesus with imagination. I want to illustrate this for you. These two guys do not know this is happening, but I need Anderson Yates and Eli Tuggle to come up to the stage real quick. Give them a hand. Young Dads Club forever. Come on, bring those signs. Come on up, guys. They seriously, they had no idea this was happening. So if if they're not prepared, you guys ready to go? Young Dads Club right here. Young-ish Dads Club right here. You're a little bit beyond me and Eli. Okay, okay. who wants to be the past? Who wants to be the future? You can be, you can have my Allen Iverson days over here, and then you can have, hopefully, weddings of daughters who are marrying men who love Jesus and make a lot of money. Okay, so, whoa, don't act like you don't think about that. Okay, step, step this way a little bit for me. Just follow, follow directions as best you possibly can. Okay, Eli's going to be over here. So here's, here's what I want you to see, and here's why I deleted time hop. I deleted time hop because I noticed I have this strange tendency of focusing so much on my memories from the past that I end up sacrificing the future that God wants my eyes on. So much so that I—it's not time hop's fault. It's more so a tendency in my own mind where I would wake up in the morning and what I see about my life just face me. No, well, they need to see it. Face them. Good job following directions, Anderson. You look great, by the way. You, you're you're an Auburn man. I love it. Um, What I would do is I would spend my life, tell me if this is how you live, looking at These are all my experiences. These are all my relationships. This is everything that has happened. This is everything that God has done. And I'll look at that, and if this is my day, and this is what is coming up in my life, my focus will be on my past. And what I'll do is I'll drag my past with me, looking out toward the future. And as I add new memories, all I will do is grab them from the present and shove them into my past and experience life in reverse. So much so that I'm stumbling into what I can't see and what I don't know with frustration. What's my main frustration? That all I ever do is repeat my past. And so all I ever do is repeat some of these same habits. All I ever do is go back to some of these same ways. And I'm wondering my whole life, why are some Christians so forward thinking, so forward moving? Why are they going this way when it feels like my whole life is replaying this and then I'm falling and I'm stumbling and I'm going, man, let me add some more memories. Let me, the kids are getting older. Another year has gone by and things are different, but they haven't really changed. And I'm just wondering today, what would happen if everything about your past, good and bad, because notice Paul in Philippians 3, he's actually talking about good things from his past, his obedience to God, his passion and zeal for knowing the scriptures. He goes, you know what? I'm going to leave this right where it is, and I'm going to spend my life being informed by these experiences, but not focused on them. And I'm going to turn, and even though I can't see entirely what this looks like, This has been forgotten behind me, and this is my ambition. This is my focus. This is where I'm moving toward. And what if, ACC, what if your past really did get left in the forgotten portion of your life, and you actually turned around and faced and lived this way? See, I believe the future that you're pursuing is not a place, it's a person, And I believe that Jesus is waiting for us in the land of the unknown, in the spaces of our lives that we can't see, that we don't have control over. But tell me how you're going to have a focus on Jesus when you're living like this. Tell me how you're going to experience where he's taking you when you're trying to drag this with you every single step of the way. And you know what will happen when you get your mind all the way around? Oh my gosh, it's the most scary thing that could ever happen. Because no longer will you be able to see things that you can control. Because the past is static, you can't change it. So the reason why I keep going back to the past is not because I want to, it's because I can control it and it's comfortable for me. This is all I know. This is all stuff I can't see. These are all spaces I've never been. These are all people I've never met. But what if the most incredible life Jesus could give you is on the other side of taking one step from your memories and a full opening up to your imagination and a new future God wants to give to you. Would y'all give them a huge hand? Thank you, Anderson. Thank you, Eli. Love you guys. Actually, you can take that with you. You can take it home or just give it back to me for the 1030 service. that will be great. Past and future. Here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you that I have a strange tendency of relating to a given day on the basis of five years ago, not five years from now. I was reminded a couple weeks ago of something terrible from my past and something that I wish I could change that happened about 10 years ago. And I was just struck by how often I don't think about 10 years from now, but I'm so stuck in changing what's always going to be unchanged. What I did and where I've been, I'm never going to get back there to make those things different. But I wonder today if you got a vision for five or ten years from now, if it would change the passion and the boldness and the courage that you make decisions with. If it would change the way you went about your resources. If it would suddenly motivate you beyond your victim mentality that says I'll always be who I always was and I'll always be stuck in this space, to Paul goes, this one thing I do, I'm not perfect, I don't know Jesus the way I want to, I don't have it all figured out, but I mean it when I say my past is in my past and there is a new future being created through my life. And do you know what Paul experienced? The goodness of God over and over and over again on the journey, so much so that we are still in Paul's future right now. We are, we are studying something he wrote 2,000 years ago. The legacy that the Spirit of God could do in and through your life requires a forward-minded believer, not someone who's stuck in what was and not someone who's holding on to the past. I believe this is gonna be different things for different people, but I believe that until you do this, the Jesus who a lot of people are singing to will always disappoint your expectations. If you've been following Jesus and wondering why he seems to be working for others but not for you, it's because you live your life backward. You are falling into the future and you're doing what's comfortable to you. You're doing what sits in your comfort zone. I know it's not natural to face something that you can't see, but we have got to change our mentality about this for our lives and we've got to change our mentality about this for the church. Every Christian's favorite question, What? why are young people leaving the church? This is the easiest question in the world to answer because the church has spent the last century like this. Let's honor tradition over new revelation. Let's make sure that we continue to keep things the way they are. We continue to uphold the morals and the standards of where we've been. And No, 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 no. What if you took away everything that could hinder the journey moving forward, but what, what what if you left in place all of the things that should inform where you're going? See, then the journey of the church becomes something that's not static, it's unveiling, but it becomes an adventure where you're experiencing Jesus every day. It drives me crazy how often people say, man, if we could just recapture the magic of the church in Acts. That was 2,000 years ago! You think that's what God's thinking about? God's going, you you got so much more capacity to experience me. You've got stories that could unfold, that could top that. I've got more of my spirit to give to you. It doesn't mean we shouldn't learn from them. It doesn't mean we shouldn't apply some of the things that we should learn from. But why do we continue to grab and move toward the past when God has this brand new future? He's just waiting to unveil. But you know what it requires of you and what it requires of me? Let go. Surrender. And as long as relationships and successes and locations from your past continue to remain your daily focus, don't be surprised when you arrive at a future that looks nothing like what was promised to you or what you were dreaming about or what others are experiencing. Listen, the last thing I want this talk to become is like a TED talk. I I do not want this to become a, hey, leave behind the past and walk into a new future for Paul, the future wasn't the prize. For Paul, Jesus was the prize, still is. So when Paul says, I'm pressing on toward the goal for which I've been called heavenward, the prize. The prize for Paul wasn't getting to heaven and having a medal put on him by Jesus. The prize was getting to Jesus. And so, I think what's holding so many of you back from the future is the same thing that's holding so many of you back from Jesus. Stuff that should have been left in the past that continues to wreak havoc on the present, and so you've negated the future. I'm talking about relationships I'm talking about successes. I'm talking about places you've lived. I've talked to so many families over the course of the past month who are struggling with literally moving to Auburn, Alabama just to be a part of this church. And the question I come back to is, is where you are living right now and what you are doing now, a picture of your past or of your future? And I'll ask the same thing to people who are here in Auburn and wanna stay in Auburn and God's calling you to go somewhere else. You're like, I just wanna be here and God's like, You're supposed to go there and maybe there is a picture of the future that he wants to unfold and here has become your comfort and your past and your thing that you focus on so that you feel like you have this illusion of control. What's at stake today is not just the future of your life, it's the future of generations. That's why I bring up the church. What we are building at Auburn Community Church is the ceiling for us, but it is the floor that the next generation will stand on as the church. A lot of us who go to ACC who have kids, we literally go to sleep at night thanking God for this space, not because we're arrogant people who are just too in love with our church but because we can't wait to see how our kids grow up seeing college students and adults and families all around them who actually believe Jesus is who he says he is and are actually passionate enough about it to sing about it and actually don't just sit through a sermon but respond to the preacher during the sermon because the spirit of God is moving in such a powerful, tangible way in their lives. I can't wait to see what all these kids in this church who are going to VBS grow up and become because why? The ceiling that we're building for them, they're gonna stand on that. And that's going to be the future. So you can write me off. You can think, oh, it's just an inspirational TED talk about leaving behind the past. This is your life. This is your family's future. This is your one story you get this side of heaven. And do you want to spend it on the adventure of following Jesus, creating a new future, not just for you, but for your kids and for generations to come? Or do you just want to see a repeat of where you've been and stay stuck in the past? It's a really simple process to do what I am talking about doing. I've got one point today. Miracle. I got one point. Well, cuz this yeah, just one. Because the sermon is called one thing I do. And Paul just gave us one thing to do. So here's here's my one point. You ready? Let go of it. Let go of it. Somebody go, Queen Elsa, look at the person next to him and say let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Sing it if you want to. Some of us parents in the room have heard it enough. Let it go. I don't know what your it is. I know what it was for Paul. Look at Philippians 3. If you're still there in the scriptures, go back to verse 4. It's this little section where Paul is recapping a lot of what he said already in Philippians, and he says this. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh... In other words, if someone thinks that they can relate to God in another way rather than righteousness by faith, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Here's what you got to understand about first century Christianity. In the first century, Christianity was not viewed as its own religion. It was viewed as a weird sect of Judaism. Oh, those people who think that Jew rose from the dead. They called them people of the way. They didn't didn't understand them. And Paul is saying that part of the reason why I didn't understand all who Jesus was is because we were so deeply entrenched in these traditions and ways from the Old Testament that I missed it. And so... If you're still trying to put confidence in your own obedience to God, I've got more of a reason to do that. Why is Paul teaching this? Because 2,000 years ago, the biggest theological problem in the church was straightening out what was Judaism and what was Christianity. Because believe it or not, we are all rooted in the people of Israel as Christians. God didn't do away with Israel when Jesus died. God completed Israel when Jesus died and rose again. We are the true Israel. And so, if you don't know enough about Old Testament culture, about the people of God, the Hebrews, you need to. It's not disrespectful to say, no, or it is disrespectful to say, oh, God did away with them, and now we're in. No, we honor the people of God. They are God's chosen sons and daughters, and we've been grafted in with them. But Paul has to straighten out with all of his churches. You don't have to relate to God based on keeping the law anymore. Jesus kept the law for us. Now it's a relationship by grace, through faith, I've got to teach people how to do this. And he goes, the the life I left behind is one where I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, I persecuted the church, I was so passionate, and I was faultless, look at that. Paul is claiming that as far as righteousness is concerned, he kept the law perfectly. Remember when I told you to take down your 10 commandments or add, add number 11, which is you can't do this? Paul just added number 12 and said, I did. He said, you look at the Ten Commandments, you look at the law. I mean, I didn't keep it. I don't think he would say I kept it perfectly, but as far as conforming my teaching and my lifestyle to meet that requirement, I got there. So the past that Paul left behind is not one of drinking and smoking and sexual immorality and all these things that we think of a good testimony. Paul's past is near perfection, is what he says about it. Verse 7. But whatever were gains, somebody say gains, It was his identity as a Jew who pursued God on the basis of works of the law. And Paul goes, I take all of that obedience, I take all of that study, I take all of that and I consider it trash." It is nothing to me because I've discovered a relationship with Jesus where anything that hinders me from experiencing him fully goes behind me. And when I say it goes behind me, I mean, I don't wake up at two o'clock in the morning and text it. I mean, I don't get lonely one night and go back to it. I mean, I don't just fall back. I mean, it is, it is so in my past that I'm willing to call it a cuss word. And for him, It's the law. For him, it's Judaism. But for you, I wonder what it is today. What is the it that you have to let go of from your past to step into the future God has for you? And God gave me three specific things for specific seasons. They're not going to cover everything, but I feel like for a lot of people in this room, it's unforgiveness. It's that people, your family, someone close to you has wronged you so much repeatedly that what it would take for you to turn and leave the past in the past is forgiving something that you don't feel like you can forgive. And you don't know this, but your inability to forgive them isn't keeping them from anything. It's just keeping you held bound to the past. And what Jesus says about forgiveness is, the only way to truly f- forgive someone is to keep your sin readily in your sight and understand the debt that I canceled for you so that you can cancel the debt for them. How do I let go of it? It hurts so bad. It hurt Jesus that bad to save you. And when you focus that heavily on that sacrifice, letting go of this becomes something that's not even a sacrifice. It's now a blessing. I am blessed to let go of it. I am blessed to release you from owing me anything. I am blessed to give up what I expected from you so that I can have all of him. For some of you, it's unforgiveness. For some of you, and this is going to hit a little harder at the 1030, for some of you, it's a breakup. It is. It is. Almost every person I have interacted with who God has called to do something, I would say, extraordinary and significant through their life. Like you would look at it and go, oh man, God's got something special for that guy. God's got something special for her. I have found in almost all of those testimonies, there is a major breakup and a shift of expectations that happened in their life where they thought they were going to marry this guy or this girl and God closed that door. And that turning from the past and moving into the future became the basis for which they stepped into that significant thing that God gave to them. So here's how you know whether or not you're in a relationship that's in your past or your future. Where is Jesus? Future. Where is Jesus in that relationship? If a relationship is in your past and you're still in it, your life looks like this. Period. And if you need an answer to the question of how how do I kind of weigh that scale? It's not really black and white. It kind of is black and white. Who is Jesus to him? Who is Jesus to her? If you have to provide any sort of like technical explanation of, well, he's in process, and well, she's, uh, she, she, she says she love God, and like, because that's how it would be said, <laughs> you know, it, Whitley, and, and she, says, she says she'd love God, and uh, if you have to qualify that response at all, they're in your past, and the move that you need to make is a move of letting go of it. For some of you, it's success. Some of you, your identity is so rooted in what went well for you then that you have gotten stuck on a cycle of just trying to fill your identity with all of these things that honestly nobody really cares about. And the only reason why God wants you to release that is so he can show you the more and the immeasurably more that comes from following Jesus. The sad thing about success is that it becomes enslaving. It becomes something that you feel like you gotta go back to, but it doesn't deliver more, it just delivers memories. And God is not just moving in the memory of what was. He wants to do more in the imagination of what could be. What if for five seconds if God could get you to stop thinking about how great you were, he could show you how great you could be and it would be times 10 of what you saw in the past. But as long as you're enslaved to that guy, to that story, to that relationship, to that thing that was a good thing at the time, it will always keep you from the more of Jesus that's waiting on the other side. I don't know what your it is, but it's something that belongs in the past and must be set on fire. See, I believe when you set the past on fire, what you're doing is allowing God to ignite a fire on the inside of your life. And so even though I can't see the future, If God is a consuming fire and he consumes me by the power of the Holy Spirit, that means I won't have enough light to see all of that, but I will have a lamp for my feet and a light for my path that will show me along the way what steps I need to take and where I need to go and who I need to be with. And if that light only shows me enough for my next step, I'll take it. It's more than enough for me. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what you're missing. This is how Paul lived. That's why his life looks like a random collection of events a lot of times, but he's like, it's kind of awesome. God keeps using me and it's unpredictable. Don't you want a life like that? Not a safe life here in all. Alabama, that's contented to just collect your comfort and make it by. I want this. I want to set up my kids for a life that looks even more like this. I want God to create a future through me. I don't want to get stuck in what was. I don't want to repeat stories that have already been written. I want something new. I want something great. I want something significant. I want something better by far that the world has never seen before. And you'll get it the moment you let go of it. Because... One thing. What if the letting go of it is the straining toward him? Now, I told you, we only got one point today, but Paul has a preacher move here. He goes, I got one thing left to say, and he says multiple things. (laughs) Sound familiar? (laughs) Hell, one thing left to say. There's a freedom that comes from letting go of it. Because the letting go of it is the exact same as point number two that's not point number two grab on to Him. Grab on to Him. It feels like everything in you is dying the moment you let go of it, but what you don't realize is that this step in God's eyes is one step. And it's the most freeing thing in all the universe when you drop your slavery to what was because automatically by dropping it, what have you done? You've opened your hand to grab hold of what God has for you. And when I say grab onto him, you're like, I thought I'm supposed to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. When you turn and face the future, you're grabbing onto someone who's already holding on to you. So the decisive factor that keeps you in your faith is never your ability to hold Jesus, but Jesus' ability to hold you. Every time I'm carrying Aniston specifically, I'm blown away by how much she doesn't even realize it, but her life is entirely in my hands, entirely. And she can squeeze if she gets scared. She can let go if she gets confident. It really doesn't matter because I would never let her go. So... You don't really need help grabbing on to Jesus today. You need help unclenching your fist and letting go of it. And once you do that, you've automatically grabbed a hold of Jesus. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. No one ever took hold of anything with a clenched fist. Try. Try to grab something like that. You can't. That's you trying to grab the life Jesus died for you to live while you hold on to the past and it must die. It must get set on fire today. Let's read it one more time. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in, Christ Jesus. Can we forget it? Can we let it go and take that step of surrender today? We love this new song called Make Room. We sang it a couple weeks ago and I love what it declares about the future. I love what it declares about where we're going. But the key line in it is this line that says, this is my surrender. When we sing what we're about to sing and you let the words, this is my surrender come out of your mouth. Do not sing those words unless you know in your mind what your it is that you're giving up. Because this is going to provide a tangible way for you to grab a hold of Jesus. What is it? When you say, this is my surrender, here it is, Jesus. You need to tangibly know what you're putting in front of him. And I believe what you've done in that moment is you've made room for a new realm of possibilities for what the spirit of God is gonna do in and through your life. Let's create that room in this space. You can put your notes away, stand up all over this room. God's doing something of eternal value in this space. Let's stay present in this moment. I'm going to ask that everyone would close their eyes, bow their heads in this space. I want to create the space for the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. If you're here right now and you know exactly what it is, you know exactly what it is from the past that needs to be surrendered, I want you to give it to God in prayer right now. If you don't know, I want you to ask God, even in your spirit right now, what is it for me? What is it for me? What has me tied to the past? Father God, I thank you for the space that was just created in hundreds of people in this room, maybe thousands online. And I pray that every single story would feel the weight of what's happening in this space, that we would feel the generations that are created by new decisions, by new initiatives, by a new focus. But God, more than we want you to create a new future, we just wanna know Christ. And if Christ is here and now and moving us toward what's next, let us get on board with his journey through our lives. God, for the guy or girl just dreading what this message is going to mean for what they have to do when they leave this space, I pray you give them courage. For the mom or dad who know that they can't sit on the sidelines of faith anymore, I pray that you would strengthen them and let them know they're not alone. God, never want shame to be the root of this. Only want courage, the possibility of what you might do. So we love you, Lord. This is our surrender in this moment. In Jesus' name.